So Money episode 838, Linda Davis-Taylor, author of the book, The Business of Family and CEO and chairman of Clifford Swan Investment Counselors. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. There's never been a more important time for all of us women to put financial competence and confidence at the center of our lives and our plans. Now is the time. The world is changing rapidly. We need more women at the helm of money and finance. And especially if you're running a household, this is particularly important. Says our guest today, Linda Davis-Taylor. She is the CEO and chairman of Clifford Swan Investment Counselors in Pasadena, California. She is a champion for women's economic independence and strength. She is not only the leader of this firm, she's also a frequent speaker on wealth transition, family governance, and philanthropy. She wrote the book called The Business of Family to help educate families on multi-generational financial sustainability. Because here's the thing. Did you know that over 70% of wealth in this country does not last beyond three generations? That means if you're currently working hard to build wealth for yourself and your family and create a financial legacy, you might want to think about sitting down with your family and making sure they know how to keep your investments growing. Growing. Linda believes that being rich means having a sense of purpose, knowing where you came from, defining your value systems, and questioning how you are living. We dive into all of this as well as how to run your family like a business. Here's Linda Davis Taylor. Linda Davis Taylor, welcome to So Money and Happy New Year to you. Thank you very much. Happy New Year to you as well. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, so much to talk about with you. You have been working in the financial advice space for much of your career, Clifford Swan Investment Counselors. You're the CEO and chairman of that. But really, uh, what I think drew us together was our common, um, our common, desire to empower women around money. And you've been doing this professionally for many years. But as you look at 2019 and the state of the world and our country and women, what, what, what do you think we should be thinking about? What's different as we move forward when it comes to our personal finances, how we think about money, how we go about making the money. We've been, it's no secret that women are a little bit behind, a lot behind in some ways when it comes to um, building wealth and getting paid. But what makes this year special? Well, Farnoosh, I think there's never been a more important time for all of us women to put financial competence and confidence at the center of our lives and our plans. Um, with everything that all of the change that's occurring in the world and all of the change and impact that so many women with whom I speak want to continue to have, I see this financial uh, nugget, if you will, as 
as just key to 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 really leveraging everything. Um, we know that now, uh, while while the statistics aren't perfect yet, we know that so many more women are really getting top drawer educations. We know that more women are getting bachelor's degree degrees going on, many of them to many other degrees. They're entering the workforce in great numbers. We're living longer um, because of health options. And so we are positioned to have a growing impact in everywhere globally. And I feel that that potential might be limited unless we close this financial gap. And so that's why one thing I I know that you and I have in common Uh, as the parent of two daughters who are just launching in their work lives as someone who was uh, a trustee and board chair of a phenomenal women's college. I've literally worked with hundreds, if not thousands of women over the years of all ages. And um, I see that we still have a bit of hesitance sometimes and the world doesn't always help us when it comes to financial empowerment. So I want to raise awareness and hopefully provide some skills, some tips and skills and encouragement for us all to work together to do that. Wonderful. And one of your philosophies around this, as we talk about how we can fill this gap, you know, you talk about women being in a great position to to produce wealth and have it last generations, but there's still a lot we have of work and understanding we have to embrace in between now and and the future. But one of the, one of the perspectives that you have that I really want um, to share with everybody is that you have to look at your family and women often at the forefront of managing the household, that it's really just another business that you are running or your only business in some cases that you are running, but thinking of it as an entity like a firm, can you dive into this a little bit more for us? And how do, what does that actually mean? And how can women and take, make this an active, take an active role in this? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wrote my book, the business of family to, to, to see if I could articulate this message and let me share a little bit about how I came to it. So, as an investment firm, and I've, our firm is over 100 years old, and I've been here for over 20 years. So what happens over and over again is women will come into the office often at a time of transition um, in their families. They will be referred to us by a friend, by another advisor, and we will see that they have such a clear view of what of what their values are, of what they're trying to accomplish with their families. But the financial industry doesn't always give them the chance to really, or the tools to really include that purpose and mission and vision in their financial life. And so the financial part seems like this odd, you know, separate thing that is not necessarily always that meaningful to us. And so my view is think about your family in the same way as as if it's a business and actually have a strategy to accomplish what you're going to accomplish. 
because nobody who runs, any of us who run a, an actual business, we wouldn't leave everything to chance. We wouldn't just say, well, I have a great idea and let's hope it works out. We would very, very clearly identify what our purpose and our values are. We would very clearly take out our employees if it's a business, but if it's a family, then it's your family members. And you would get everybody on board with that mission and get everybody excited about it. And then you would give them the school, the tools and the skills if they were employees to, to do their work. And so in our family, we need the tools and skills too. So maybe that's financial education. Maybe that's specific skills that we need or our kids need or all of those members. And so keep to keep going with that throughout your family life, there's so many different dimensions, you know, there's everything that you're trying to accomplish with your family, and then translating that into these specific phases. And so I often see that the women are, are already equipped, sort of in their mindset to do this, but think about it very specifically, so that as your family goes along in stages, you know, you're ready for it. And the key missing ingredient in so many cases is this financial education point, because none of our, I've been involved in schools all my life. Schools do not teach this. It's left in the hands of families to do it. And I have noticed through working with families that the most impactful women, I mean, those who ultimately with their families and with bigger things, philanthropy, for example, those who are the most impactful are those who have had the opportunity to be taught financial skills early. Those lucky women often have had someone in their fa- family, often it's, an, often it's a father or a grandfather, sometimes a mom, who have recognized, hey, my daughters need to learn financial skills. So now we need to incorporate that with our own families and, and making sure that this topic is not so foreign. Unfortunately, I have too many women who get even to the point of being very successful in their careers who are still hesitant about talking about money, about negotiating for salaries, even talking about money with their spouses. So bringing all of this together is is the reason you need to do it. It's part of your family strategy. And all the good things you want to have accomplished with your family and your kids and your own life are going to be compromised unless, unless it's all together. So it's the business of family is actually that, to think about your family as a business and with financial skills as core to it as you go through all the phases. I mean, think about the end of life. I have parents and grandparents and people who are who are older now, and they still are the matriarchs or the patriarchs of their family. And I encourage them. I say, do your do the rest of your family members understand what you have been trying to accomplish all these decades? If you've been fortunate enough to be financially successful, and many times, no, they've never talked about it. And so getting families to talk about their finances, their their wealth goals, their aspirations makes everybody so much better prepared for all of the ebbs and flows that are going to happen. And guess what? Because we live longer, many of us women, in fact, I believe that 90% of us will at some point in our life be the, the key decision maker about finances. Mm-hmm. And many times it's it, with significant uh, amounts of finances at stake. And so I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to count on not being the decision maker. So if you know it's coming, let's help each other be ready for it. 
Taking a step back though, you know, we've talked a lot about family preparations and things to do with your family and thinking about how to think about your family as this business structure to be able to make the money, have it last, manage it well. A lot of my listeners are still you know, they, they don't have the family yet, or they're thinking about it. And they're just really concerned right now about becoming personally, financially whole, eliminating debt, saving money, getting the investment portfolios, the, all, all the 401ks and IRAs. And so if you were talking to a single woman today, who's college educated, who is ambitious, who has the great, a great job, or, you know, is, professionally ambitious, what are the pillars do you think that she needs to create financial pillars that she needs to go about incorporating in her life to create that foundation to the, when she arrives at the family and all the things that she's even more prepared? So I have a a simple three phrases that I, I keep in mind myself and recommend to all the women with whom I speak. Understand at all times what you own. So do you own a 401k? Do you own a savings account? Do you own anything, a condominium or a a home? What do you own? What are the assets that you actually own? What are they worth? Understand then what you spend. What's your life all about? What does it actually take? And I'm amazed how many people don't really know that. When you really start, you know, laying it out, what are those fixed costs? What does it take to keep you going in the world? And and for a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, young women, that has to include um, the debt that they may have incurred to get that great education. And so that's part of that budget. So understand what you what you earn and and what you spend. So what you own, what you earn, and what you spend, and how are those in balance, or if they get out of balance, being aware of that and how to get them back in balance. And that's always going, that's going to happen mm-hmm. because we know that things don't flow together in a wonderful straight line. And then when you think about that, that spending part and the dreaded budget planning, which, you know, none of us probably, if we were honest about you know, really love that. Um, but I think about it as a 50, 30, 20 rule. When you think of what do I actually have to spend? You know, I know what my earning is, then what do I have to spend? Then I have to work within that. And so 50% should go to paying for what's, what it's going to take to keep you going. What's your rent? What's your, you know, debt payment? What are your basic expenses? then no more than 30% for things that aren't absolutely necessary. But let's face it, we're going to need some fun along the way. So 30% for that, but then saving 20% for either savings or some many women tell me at the very, even at the very beginning of their life, they want to give back. They want to support some kind of charitable entities to some degree. So that comes out of that 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I commend them for that. I mean, for example, my daughter's, one of them is a wildlife conservationist. And she said, mom, I want to give back. I said, well, you have to be sure you have something to give back. Mm-hmm. So that means that, you know, 50, 30, 20 has to be laid out. Um, in a in an actual budget. 
would you agree, Linda, that a lot of what's missing in the education uh, when it comes to women and money is how to invest and the importance of investing? I think a lot of it is focused on spending and saving, which is important. But if you're talking about building wealth, um, it's it's not enough to just have a conversation about where to park your cash in a bank account, but really like getting ahead with your investing strategy. And that's your 401k, the IRAs, a business, yourself, to improve your skills. I think that's something that I certainly didn't get that, that chat, that chat, that conversation growing up. Absolutely. Most, unfortunately, more of us didn't get it than did get it, I think, as women. I hope that's changing, but it's still my experience that, you know, that really wasn't taught. And we didn't really start doing that until much later. You know, investment speak, what you'll hear is, think about your time horizon. And that that phrase never really does anything for me because I think, what do you mean my time horizon? Really, it needs to be translated into starting early and understanding how money can really grow. Uh, I, I, I have this um, little statistics that I, that I talk about and I say, if you invested $200 a month, now that might seem like a lot for some budgets, I understand that, but just as an example, if you started out as a young person in your 20s, invested $200 a month, and you kept out that until, and you retired at 65, and you invested that in, in a mix of stocks and bonds, what do you imagine that might be worth 40 years later when you retired? I mean, $200 a month investing along, maybe you had a couple thousand dollars to start with. Hmm. It's worth over $2 million. Wow. And when I say that to young women, they can't believe it. They say, wait. And I say, you know, it's the power of time and and wise, solid investments that over a long period of time, a whole working life really add up. And no one really told me that. I can still remember when I had the chance to sign up for my first 401k, I was given a postcard and they said, well, fill this out. But no one said, why should you at age 25 put all of that money in stocks? Because you're not going to touch it for 45 years. It doesn't matter if you have that long, what's going to happen to the market on a short-term basis. So you're absolutely right that these basic skills. Now, one thing I would say is it's, it's important before one starts actual investing in stocks to be sure that you have a cushion for any surprises that might come up. Um, you know, have there's difference of opinion on this, depending on what your job is, three months, six months, sometimes more of your living expenses put away in something really basic that's not at risk that you can get to the next day if you have a surprise in your life. So that emergency fund, you know, cushion, uh, whatever you call it, that's step one before investing. And, you know, sometimes that takes a little while to, to build up when we're just starting out. And one shouldn't feel badly about that. But that's the first thing, because you always want to feel that you have options. And if you something happens in your company, or you have an emergency, you have, you know, that you really want to 
have the security of I don't have to go to an investment account and pull money out at an inopportune time. So that that first uh, you know emergency fund is first, and then longer term, uh, and or or especially if you have a four hundred one k, that's just golden. You know you must take advantage of a four hundred one k, and if a company has a match. Be sure you ask them about how that works and how you can best qualify for that because that's free money. Somebody else in your your company is investing in you. This is all and, really good practical advice, and um, you well, you gave us a few uh, t- sort of uh, you gave us a little bit of a behind the scenes of your life growing up and your personal financial experiences and. One of the questions I have for you is given your body of work in this space and the, you know, you said 20, over 20 years at Clifford Swan, when you started working in financial services, and then you were also at the time, maybe looking at the state of women and money, looking back and all of these years that have gone by today, are you, are you pleasantly surprised at where we have come? We have made some strides, you know, let's give ourselves some credit, but are, or are you disappointed? I've, you know, you read statistics about how pay parity is not going to be really attained until 2060, um, you know, and that's a conservative estimate. And so looking at the last 20, 25 years, how would you characterize the progression of women in money? Well, my, um, my generation, and I started working after college in the 70s. So our, unfortunately, our mindset was, I hope someone will hire me. I hope I'll be able to advance. Um, but I don't think, I know I didn't exactly know what that meant. You know, I was, I hate to say this in a way, but I think I was grateful to to be hired and then worked really hard to get every promotion and take advantage of every opportunity that I could get. But now uh, I think my, I recognize that hard work and even hard work plus skills and talents isn't enough. We have to be much more um, vigilant and ambitious and stand up for ourselves to make sure that number one, our own aspirations are high enough. I think that's my biggest regret while I feel incredibly fortunate in life. And I know that I am, I think I could have had even bigger aspirations if I'd known a little bit more about how to go about that and what was possible. Um, so every time I meet with a young person, I just encourage them. I say, take every advantage of whatever school you're in. If you're thinking of graduate school or if you have a chance to get a promotion. And then once you do that, sometimes you really do have to, you always have to advocate for yourself. I find that now I'm the CEO of my company. When I meet with my board, I have to advocate for myself, for what I'm doing for the company and what I'm worth whether it's a bonus or a salary, mm-hmm. um, people don't see it just because you're working hard. I think, I think that's still true I, to some extent, Linda. I think that, that many people, especially young adults who are just out of college, are just grateful to get the, the, the interview, let alone the job. And that disposition, while you know it's good to be 
thankful, I think can cloud your judgment when it comes to things like negotiating and knowing your worth. Like you are qualified, you have a right to be in that room and you bring a lot of value to this prospective employer. So don't forget that. I think that that's something that still, it, it does cloud a lot of judgment when, you know, you're in your twenties and you're going out into the job market. It's, you can feel very vulnerable and it's it's our own you know it's 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 our own level of aspiration and confidence and mentors can really help um i ha- i have had several i have had three amazing mentors who were men and i know that if they and 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 it's it's always interesting to look back and think what did someone see in you you know why did they you know, take you on really. And I know that that made a big difference for me, especially in financial services, um, to have men who are mentors. But now, you know, there are a lot of us women who've been working for a really long time. And if we're in positions of influence, I mean, one of the things that uh, I, one of the things I keep in mind with my own opportunities is my own choices. If, you know, for financial using my own financial resources. I always think about the investments I make and whether women are leading those companies or how prevalent they are, what those companies hiring and promoting philosophies are. I look for every opportunity to hire and promote great women. And as a volunteer, as I mentioned, I was a trustee at a women's college. I am always encouraging them to be ambitious about those choices. Just last week, I spoke with a woman who is in her 40s, who is at a private equity firm. And she called me because she wanted to talk about how she could negotiate her salary because she knew, because she had the data, she knew that she was being paid significantly less than her her male peers. And this is someone with a top-notch education and top-notch skill set. But as you say, she... She knew that she was not where she should be, and it was still incredibly difficult for her to, to, to approach that conversation. So we just did some role playing, and we just have to steal ourselves to say, I'm worth it, I deserve it, and I'm qualified, and you know, I want my, I want my share. I don't, I just posted to be funny, but I want my share on social media that, you know what, there's all this hullabaloo over the Oscars and are they going to have a host? Are they not going to have a host? And I was like, I'll host the Oscars. I am totally unqualified, but somewhat qualified. I don't have any (laughs) stage or television or film credentials, but you know what? I felt like the point was so many women wait to be a hundred percent qualified to raise their hand to say, I'll do it. Right. You know, and listen, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm a big fan of men. I'm, I'm not here to be negative on men. I'm a wonderful husband, brothers, all that great mentors, but there's just a difference. You know, I see many men see an, if they're given an opportunity, they think, of course I can do that. I haven't done it before, but I'm sure I can do it. Whereas we think, have we already done every single aspect of the job before we even get it? And take it, it's risk taking, you know, you make me think of that. I don't know why I didn't think of that, but the gap I see still is in prudent 
risk-taking is something that we should encourage each other to do. Just what you mentioned, maybe that would be a little bit of a risk for you, Farnoosh, but probably- It's a risk for the academy as well, let's just be honest. I have no, <laughs> I have some qualifications. Let me take that back. I have some qualifications. I can host things, but I, you know, am I, am I Ellen DeGeneres? Uh, no, but um, you're absolutely right. We can definitely take, we can definitely learn from men and their approach to applying themselves and inserting themselves in riskier propositions and, and really not thinking of it as a risk, but just no. you know, challenging yourself, which in the end is growth. I mean, our economy is driven more and more by us, by women. You know, we know we we control the, the majority of consumer spending. And as you pointed out early, we're the majority in college populations. More and more, we're the majority in the workforce. And we are definitely the majority when it comes to sort of my generation and older of those who at the end of life control wealth. So every industry, starting with mine, financial services, you know, really wants to appeal to women because we are so influential. So recognizing that and combining that with, of course, great preparation and, uh, you know, always working on our skills and, and doing things, you know, doing things well. But going ahead and, and really using that phrase of, you know, taking our seat at the table, however we want that, however we want, however we want to see that um, is, is, there's never been a better time to do that. And I, I am very optimistic about, um, about the generation of women I see coming because they do have the skills, talents, and interest and recognize how much they want to impact the world. Um, but this financial confidence is, is, is still something that needs attention, whether it's toolkits, skill sets, mentoring, um, a place for us to go when, you know, just someone can say, look, just, you know, yes, ask for the raise, you know, try the new job, you know, um, do whatever it is that's coming up next, you know, on, on someone's agenda. And I think uh, that um, we talked about this earlier, but just to reiterate, like, don't be apologetic about your desire to go out there and make the money. I think that there is a little bit of a um, squeamishness around admitting publicly and even to yourself that you're someone who cares about money, that you realize that money is important um, because maybe we associate money with, um, uh, you know, um, with power and sometimes we're uncomfortable with power, right? It's just not. We, we associate it with arrogance, arrogance and greed. So. Right. Um, and that's a very male um, mm-hmm. Wall Street stereotype. And there's a lot of things about that that are unattractive and that, you know, I, I personally don't want to be a part of that. However, realizing that the other side of the coin is um, that having, you know, having financial resources, significant ones, your own for your own life and, the, and anything else that you're involved with simply means that you're going to be able to have influence and I think many of us, we might not say we want power, but we certainly want influence because we know that we know the change we want to see in the world. And so having that influence and that financial influence without that, it just it's very difficult to be as impactful in 
in any way. Um, many, many, many women who become great philanthropists, um, you know, start uh, as a as a as a very young age, having that example in their families too, and I often see the two tied together. I just had an amazing woman. I ended up speaking at her memorial service, unfortunately, earlier um, last fall. And the last time I saw her, I said, "Please tell me what you know what you think was the secret to your being a great philanthropist." And she said. My father taught me about how money worked at a very young age. And then um, I understood that. And so I became very good at, you know, managing my own funds and at being a good, you know, uh, investor, whether it's uh, investing for my own portfolio or investing as a philanthropist. So these money skills, however you want to use them, um, are just essential and the Controlling those financial resources is a matter of influence and is a matter of making whatever world you want to live in a reality. I love that. Money is influence. And this is, if there was ever a year to be influential in whatever goals you want to accomplish, big, small, macro, micro, this is this is really a mindset shift that has to happen. And thank you for giving us this alternative way of thinking about money, that it's, it is power, but if that doesn't speak to you, think of it as influence. And I think we can all get behind that. Linda Davis-Taylor, thank you so much. This was a refreshing conversation. So, so many important tips for women and men. We really appreciate you and thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much to Linda Davis-Taylor for joining us. She is the author of The Business of Family. You can learn more about Linda by visiting cliffordswan.com as well as lindadavistaylor.com. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com. You can download the episode, download the transcript. Also click on Ask Farnoosh to submit your question for our Friday episodes. And there also, let me know if you want to co-host. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.